Well, we can open up to Acts chapter 11. We'll, uh, we'll start in 19 and finish out the chapter. Um, man, last week, the Easter sermon, just, like, that's my favorite Easter sermon, that when, of just the way it's, it's talked about, of the, the facts and the, um, of Jesus truly dying and truly resurrecting and just the greatest minds of the world that have tried, you know, these are facts-based thought, methodical guys. Um, and we, you know, and Rory taught us the credentials of those guys, you know, and how, how they were, you know, like this judge in this place and these people in these places with like the greatest minds of the world. And a lot of them, they didn't even, they didn't, they didn't believe in it for sure in Jesus but then they just, they give it a fair chance though when they went to search it out, right? And so by doing that, by giving it a fair chance, they just got to a spot where they couldn't deny it. A lot of them even converted to believe. And uh, the ones that didn't though, they still come to a spot where they were just saying like, look, I still don't believe, but if I'm going off facts, the facts say he really did die and he really did raise from the, raise from the dead. And um, that just hits home to me, you guys, that's, it was an Easter sermon when I finally stopped ignoring the Lord. And, and it was a sermon like that, like where the, it was a little bit harsher. It was like more direct. It was a good one, but it was, it was something about that that just really grabbed my attention of like, man, they're just, you can't deny it. People can't deny it if it's, if it's given a fair shot, you know? And so I just appreciate that kind of an Easter sermon of just talking about that and knowing the history behind it and the history of of these great minds that have searched it out. And it's just the facts of the history of the world and how, um, how Jesus just, you know, he, like he had to, um, he had to raise from the dead. He had to, or he was just some, some crazy prophet. He was just a man. And so just the, the proof that of that is what, you know, our Christianity hinges on. That we believe what we believe and we know why and we, can, we have a foundation to stand on because of that exact thing. So I just appreciate that. I love those, that um, Easter sermon. Um, it's just incredible. But as we, as we go into as today's message, we just kind of recap on the first part of chapter 11. We're just um, uh, thinking about how Peter was defending the ministry of taking the gospel to the Gentiles, to the apostles, to the brethren, to the believers, because they they assumed and thought it was all um, that the salvation, and everything was through Judaism and through being a Jew, and so um, they they had Cornelius has already been saved, the first Gentile saved, and and we went through that. So, but in the beginning of chapter eleven, we have. Peter, where he's just going over it again to him, and he's just relaying the story of how it happened, and Cornelius's vision, and Peter's vision, and how um, the Lord brought them together um, to to come out of the Judaism and the Jews to like come out into the world to go after Gentiles. Versus like Cornelius, yes, he was a Gentile, but he was what the Jews called a God fear. That was a term that they had for people that. Um, believed in the the God of the Jewish culture, and so he was he was in like they accepted him he couldn 't he wasn 't circumcised and he didn 't do these other things so he wasn 't allowed to do all of the Jewish traditions but 
he was accepted in. He was accepted to come to the temple for prayer and those kinds of things. And, um, and so, so Peter's just going and he, he's just replaying the, how it all happened to the apostles and the brethren because they've already heard about this and they're kind of in an uproar. So he's, he's debating with them. And, and um, the amazing part was is that he, he gets down to verse 16 and he just says that he remembered the word of the Lord. Like he tells the story of what happened, the visions from both people, how it all came together. And then when he gets to the bottom, he just gets down to it and he goes and he takes them back to the word of God. And then you go into verse 18 where they're just silent and they're just thinking, man, Peter just proved it to us. We were missing it. He used scripture. That's what keeps like, you know, prophecy and everything real and not getting out there and getting wild and crazy is the fact that you can come back and you can find it based on the word of God. And that's what Peter did to, um, to finally get the point across these guys. And they became silent. And it says, then they went on to a glorified God. And they said that, um, then even then God has also granted. And that's a big part we talked about last or the two weeks ago is that God granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. That part of understanding that we don't get to, we don't choose. We don't say, oh, I can repent whenever I want. God grants us that idea and that, and the Holy Spirit convicts us to want to repent and then to life. Without repentance to Jesus, we don't have life. We are dead in our sins. And so it's just, it just a real powerful point in this. And then so now, um, now we're going to get into it. It's, it's another, the rest of this chapter, and um, it's encouraging. It's about Barnabas, Barnabas the encourager, and, and um, it just, man, it just gets better and better. So let's get into it. In verse 19, um, we have, Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, in Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. So this is interesting. This, you know, we're just thinking about this scattering and the persecution, right? And let's think about what the theme of the book of Acts, the, the main theme verse of the book of Acts. Does anybody remember what it is? What's that? Yes. One eight. That's it. And it's, it's where Jesus says to, um, let me find it here, where Jesus says, but you shall receive power when this Holy Spirit has come upon you. But let's, like, as we think about this 1-8, let's, I mean, let's really think about it. So we receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us to do what? Well, let's finish what it says there. To be witnesses to me. Jesus says. And in the Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. So by the Holy Spirit, back to that repentance to life, the granted repentance. So the Holy Spirit comes upon, comes upon you. And then what is it for? To give you power to do what? To go tell people about Jesus, right? Okay, so... What's the outcome of living if we choose to live that life? We accept Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit comes in us. And it's the only reason that um, we hear it all the time that we're just vessels, right? So the only reason the Holy Spirit comes upon us, what Jesus just said there, was to be empowered to go out. So what comes with it 
that goes with one chapter, chapter 1, verse 8. What, what's going to be the outcome of that? Chapter 8, verse 1, where it says that... Um, where it says that Paul continuing to, after consenting to uh, Stephen's death, that there's this great time of persecution, I'm paraphrasing right here, but, and it rose against the church and it scattered them throughout the region. So that's a promise. That's a promise from God. If you live by Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the, the outcome. From that is going to be Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Scattered, right? You're going to be persecuted. It's going to move you, this persecution, when you stand fast to the Lord. We're going to, you know, we see these people doing. It's going to, it's going to scatter God's word. It's not going to stomp it out. When you think about, I've heard this several times, maybe you guys have too, but when you think about <clears throat> a fire and someone goes up there and just goes to, just rapidly start stomping on the fire. What happens? A draft comes like from stomping on it and ambers go out and they go everywhere and light more fires. I remember the first time I was on a rangeland fire out here. I pull up there in my fire truck. Oh yeah, big pumper. You know, get my hose out, it's on electric reel. There's a fire. I'm, I'm a, you guys know how genius I am. I'm going to whip this thing. And so I fire that pump up and I got it cranked up and I just crack the thing. Boom! Just hit it with a solid spray. And all the ambers just go... And then more fire. And I'm like, no, 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 no! No, no! That's not what's supposed to happen. Well, that's what was happening when Paul... We go back to chapter 8 where Paul persecutes the church. He consents to killing Stephen, right? And then right into chapter 8 it starts out where he's, he's persecuting the church that we just talked about, 8 verse 1. It was so bad, and I don't know if you guys remember that teaching, but it, when it, it's speaking of that, it's like and speaking of an animal just devouring uh, its prey, right? So he, he had this mission. He was going to, he had them, they hadn't really um, went out to these other regions yet too far. So he killed Stephen. There was, yeah, it was a lot of them. We had, you know, several thousand people living for Christ then, but he's, Saul's like, I'm going to kill him right now. I'm going to stomp it out right here, right now. And he viciously turned the fire hose on to put it out. And what did it do? It just, poof, spread all these Christians that are on fire. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> They're on fire everywhere, lighting more fires. Right? Um, I just thought of that. I'm pretty proud of it. So, um, so anyways, these, this, these people that, that left from that, that's who we're talking about here in verse nine, 19. Okay, and, um, you know, their, their mission call, their missionary call was run for your life, wasn't it? That was their, like, their, like our, mission, our missionary call was like, okay, we're, we're called to go, you know, go to Nepal and, and tell them, like, these people, their call was to run for their life at the moment. But what did they do? What did, what's the thing? What did they take with them? They took the gospel with them, Right? That's what they took with them. That's all they were, like they were scared and worried, but they didn't let go of the gospel, okay? And so, so they fled. And um, they traveled up to these three different cities. It was north of Jerusalem, I think like 300 miles or something like that. And uh, verse 20 says, But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who, 
when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. So let's talk about Antioch. We have the three cities they went to, but the main, the main point of this is Antioch, and we'll see it as we go. Um, but just a little history on Antioch. Okay, it's a, it's a city in, in Syria, and as we go on through the book of Acts, we're going to talk of another Antioch, but it's, it's a different Antioch than this one, just so um, we don't get that mixed up. But anyways, so... This city, Antioch, was named by Seleucus. He was one of the four generals that um, Alexander the Great, after he died, pretty much conquered the known world. And he, he dies, and his, his kingdom gets divided up by, to four of his generals. And Seleucus, Seleucus, I think is how you say it, he was one of them. And so he names, um, I guess he had a thing about naming cities after his dad, because there's multiple ones, which is interesting. But um, anyways, he, he, uh, he named this this city after his father, who was Antiochus, okay? And then they had the, the Orontes, Orontes or something like that river, a very major river that um, ran through there, and it would go clear to the ocean, right? So we see that it was a main transport for um, goods and everything. And then on the other side, they had, like it was a main highway, they would call it. They would go to all the, out, the, all the major cities outside of Antioch. Antioch. And so it just, you could understand how this city was a thriving city and there was lots of people and it brought, you know, more business. There was very business minded. And at the time of, of this time with Paul's time, there was about 500,000 people there that were populated there. And it was populated with a mix of people. They would say it was like a melting pot because of, of the city and its growth and stuff where, um, you know, there was Greek people there, there was Romans, there was Jews. It was just a melting pot of, um, of people. And so in verse 21, it says, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. So they're in this city, this Antioch city. And you guys could imagine when you have a city like that, and it's, and it's a city of Gentiles. You know, there's some Jews there for sure, but it, a lot of it's Gentiles and and they're just swallowed up by the world and the fast pace of the world. You can imagine what comes with that. And so it's a very pagan city. And one of the things that Antioch was known for of this pagan city is, is their um, pagan religion and how they just intertangled prostitution with it. Like it was all part of it. Like they, they put it all together in there. And so it was, it was a bummer because that's, like, that's what they were known for. They were... They were known for one of a, of a business growing city. And then that was the other thing they were known for, you know, and it was just outside of Christ. And so as we think about that, like what is Polina, what is Post, what is Primeville known for? You know, we just pray and, and, we, and we talk to people and we want to talk to them about Jesus so that hopefully it gets to be a point where like they're known as God fearing people, truly God fearing people. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, it's, it's no coincidence it was a bad place like this that um, God's going to use, send Barnabas, and he's going he's gonna to kind of kick Paul's ministry off out of Antioch. Where are we at here? 21. Okay, so in verse, back in, up in verse 20, though, where it says, um, let's go back a little farther, actually. Verse 19 at the end, where it says that these people that were scattered, they came and they spoke to the Jews only. And then verse 20 says, But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who, when they had 
come to Antioch, they spoke to the Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus. Okay, so Hellenists here, we see it in other spots in Scripture where it can, Hellenist people can be two different kinds of people. You can be, um, Greek Jews are called Hellenists. Luke, Luke calls, refers to that, I think like in chapter 7 or something. And um, so Greek-speaking Jews are known as Hellenists. But then the other kind of Hellenists are just Greeks. They're just Gentiles. They're just pagan um, pagan Greeks, right? And so, but, so there's like, there's some controversy here of like who they're talking about, but I just, I just read some stuff and listened to stuff and I, I just land in the boat in the camp of, we're in verse 20 where it says, but, so in verse 19, it says, speaking to the Jews only. And then verse 20, it goes, but some of them go and they, and they speak to the Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus to them. So we get that idea that they're not, Greek speaking Jews, they're these, they're these, these um, Gentile Hellenists. And so they will also go on as we're going to read and they're going to, they're going to send, um, they're going to send Barnabas down there from Jerusalem to check it out. Now in Jerusalem, there's all kinds of Hellenists, Greek speaking Jews that were saved. And so like it wasn't, there was no concern. There's no reason to go send somebody down there to check it out. But this in this point, they're, they're going to send some Barnabas down there to see how things are going. Like, is it legit that they're, they're being saved because they were this Gentile crowd? So moving on, verse 22. Uh, the news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he, when he came and had seen the grace of God... He was glad and encouraged them all with purpose of heart. They should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. When we go back up to verse 23 there, you see where it says when he came, when Barnabas came down there and he seen the grace of God. I don't think we want to miss that part because how do you see the grace of God? How do you see it? These people were clearly filled with the Holy Spirit and they were living a biblical life. It was known and it was seen. And so that's a, that's a word for us. That's a message for us. Like people should know that we're Christians and we love Jesus. They should know that. It was very obvious when Barnabas come down here because you could, like the way I read it in the story, in my mind, he's jacked and he's like, he's encouraging them and he tells them to continue on. Like keep, keep going at it. And so here we go. We have Barnabas and he, and he, he hits the scene here. And um, if you guys think back, I'll remind you, um, we've heard of Barnabas and, and his grace. And we've heard of um, him being this, this guy that is full of Holy Spirit and faith. If you guys remember back to Acts chapter 4. Um, so Acts chapter 5 is where we have... Um, Ananias and Sapphira, where they sell their land, but they keep some of it and they try to lie about it, right? And God strikes them dead and kills them. Well, just prior to that, at the end of chapter 4, we have this guy named Joseph. And he sells all of his land and he gives it all and lays it all at the apostles' feet. And right then in chapter 4, they, um, they call him Barnabas. Um, chapter 4, verse 36. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, 
um, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So he was encouraging them with finances at that at that time. It was just who this guy was, and didn't it help the church at that time? That was that was back when things were just kicking off and just really going. And he's just like, you want to talk about faith? He sold it all, all of his land, takes the money and gives it to the church and like trust. Like that's faith. I know this is for the kingdom of God and it's worth it. Everything I have is worth it. I'm all in. He just pushed all of his, all of his chips in. And then um, we, we see him encouraging again in, in chapter 9 when um, Saul of Tarsus is converted Right, and then he's going up to um, the apostles, and the apostles are like, "No, we don't trust this guy." And Barnabas comes alongside Saul, and he's like, comes up there with him and says, "No, you guys, look, I'm vouching for this guy. He's he's he loves the Lord. He's been down preaching Jesus. This is you don't have to be afraid." So there he is again. Here's Barnabas, this guy that is just like coming alongside a fellow brother and just saying, "Hey, no, he's good," or "Hey." You know, keep going on, keep doing, keep um, striving for Jesus. He's just, that's why he gets the name Son of Encouragement. And then it end, eventually Barnabas, it sticks and they don't, they, they just stick with Barnabas. They don't, they don't um, go back to Joseph, Joseph. So anyways, that's his message, right? That's what, that's what he's telling them. He says, don't quit, never give up. You know, he's. He's thinking and he knows this theme of verse um, chapter 1, verse 8 of, of the promise of the Holy Spirit and um, being empowered and what that's for. And then he, um, you know, he understands right with that as he's talking to these new believers in this, this, this city of Antioch. He's, um, he understands the chapter 8, verse 1 part. The, there, there's going to be persecution coming. It's, it's going to be hard. But you have to stay out. You have to stay, you know, just stay. Jesus is our only hope and our only salvation in any of this, this bad stuff. So, in, you know, I think when we think about this, we think of like of persecution and hard times and like, oh man, what's going on? And wanting to maybe fall away or thinking like, well, where's this God that loves people so much? You know, I just I think that that's a type of persecution because maybe right here in Polina we don't have the persecution of renounce your denounce your faith or you're going to die, and maybe we don't even have a lot of the persecution of friends and families disowning us or not really wanting to be around us. Maybe we don't even have that so much. But I this is Joe speaking. But I, I'm I'm going to go ahead and just say that I think persecution can also be because all of those things is just Satan working through people. It was Satan working through Saul to persecute these these. Um, these Christians. So I'm going to say like, isn't it Satan that is like, we're getting persecuted in our minds when, when hard times come or something. And we're just like, Lord, I'm coming to you. I'm saying, I want you Lord, but you're not helping me. Where are you at? Like, I don't feel you Lord. I think that's persecution as well. I think that's, that's from Satan. That's, that's him trying to get us to fall away and to, to run away from Jesus the exact same way. Satan was using Saul to do that to to try to get all these Christians to run away, you know. And so you think about that. So what about when you were when you were first married or your first, you know, dating or your your soon to be wife, right? Like everything is just the skies are more blue, right? You're like you can't quit thinking about them. It's all you're thinking about is just like, oh, I just want to be with 
with this person. I remember Courtney and I, she was in going to college at OSU and like just silly stuff where you drive all night long, hang out with them, turn around and drive, you know, be back to work and just be miserable and all day long. And you would just do that day after day after day, after, like as much as you could do, right? And you think, man, this is never going to weaken. This is, this is going to be amazing forever. We're going to get married and it's going to continue. Well, what's the reality? Those of us that are married. Boom. Boom. Lonnie said that, by the way. Oh. No, what we have is, we, like, it doesn't stay the same, right? Now, I can say, honestly, like, I'm, it's not the same for me, but, like, I love my wife more, and it's more a mature love, right? That's kind of more of a, it's good, and it's okay, and it's amazing, but it's more of an immature type of love, right? Doing these silly things, running on empty all the time, just over that, which... I think there's great things in that. But like now, like, there's no question. I love my wife more than I ever have. And it's more of a mature love. It's a different love, but it's definitely more. So do we see that? Like if there's this point where we give our lives to Christ and it'd be silly to think like, oh my gosh, it's going to be this blue sky and amazing and I'm on fire and it's going to be like that forever, always. That's not the case. If all of us sitting here have, have been to that point where we've given our lives to Christ, where we like, oh, I can't put the Bible down. Oh, I can't wait to go to church. Oh, like, then what happens? The same kind of thing, right? Like it kind of, it fizzles. And it, but what's the point? Stay at it though. We stay at it. We trust the Lord. You know, like he's not answering our prayers right now. We need encouraged. We need our brothers and sisters to come around us to encourage us. Like, no, stay focused on the Lord. I feel fairly comfortable using Dustin as an example of, of uh, you know, some hard times. But man, what I saw in that a lot, like there was a, the Lord moved in that in a range that like we can't even put into a building. And that's the truth. But one thing like I can really think of is the church family and the body that rallied around him saying, what did they encourage him? Oh, you know, the pain's going to go away and you'll be fine. No, Jesus, 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 Jesus. He's there. He hasn't forgot about you. Yeah, we don't understand it at the time, maybe. You might be, you won't understand it, but someday we're going to have to trust that you, you do. And if you don't, when you're in heaven, you will. Right? So that encouragement, don't we need that? Like, what if, what if maybe some of us are just on the fence and, you know, like that part, that frustration part of, of um, like, okay, Lord, I know that I can't do it on my own strength to come to you. So I'm, I'm here. I'm like, Lord, I want you in my life, but I don't feel you yet. What if you're there? Like, don't you need the encouragement? No, just, just trust his word. We just went through that Easter sermon of the foundation and the truth of it, to know it all the way through, to know that it's true, that people cannot debunk. Well, that's why we keep saying, no, just Jesus. It's Jesus. Just keep doing it. Just keep, keep reaching for him. That's the encouragement that Barnabas was. That's, that's the encouragement we can take away from um, part of this lesson today. That's what he was saying to these people. Hard times are coming. The hard times are not over. They're on fire right now for Jesus. It's obvious. You know, it says that they were multiplied. Um, uh, Where does it say right here? They were added to them. All these things, but he's still encouraging them because he's like, this is great right now. You're on fire for Jesus, but Satan's going to come try to stomp it out. So just stay at it. Um, 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 um. 27. 27. There you go. Thanks, buddy. Uh, 25. Let's do 25. 
Then Barnabas departed to Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Okay, so we, you can just picture this here. The church is growing. It's moving out of Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem was huge. It's in this, this fast-moving, um, fast-paced city of a lot of pagan stuff in Antioch. But God is moving mightily there, we just read. Things are happening. So Barnabas, is, he's down there kind of a one-man show as far as leading people at this point. And so you can just imagine where he's like, okay, I need some help. And he's so, so you have, I heard it like this. It was just a good way to think about it. So you have, if you remember back in chapter maybe nine or 10, when Peter hits the scene, we put, we put Saul on simmer, right? Paul goes, kind of sits in the back row for a little bit and Peter takes off. And then we know that he was there for three years and then he, for, um, like another seven years, he's back in Tarsus or something. Oh, don't hold me to that. I'm messing that up. But anyways, so he's just, he's kind of like, he's, he's just hanging out, you'd say. But as we know from the, the stories of Saul is that this guy is a guy that, like, there's not enough books for him to read. So we know he's saved. He's got the Holy Spirit. But he's up there like, he's getting ready and he's getting charged and he's sitting up there. But he's up there thinking and he's like waiting. And you know, in his head, if you go to Acts chapter 9, verse 15, um, what does God say to him? When, this is when he's being, um, the, the scales are taken off his eyes and all that stuff. God says, uh, go for, oh no, I'm sorry. He's talking to Ananias to go talk to, um, to talk to Saul and going to meet them up. And Ananias is a little bit worried about like, no, this is the guy killing people. But anyways, God says this, this prophecy here of, uh, go, for he is a chosen vessel, talking about Saul of Tarsus. He's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, before kings, and the children of Israel. So you have Saul. He's been 10 years. He's been on, he's been shelved. He's been on the back burner. I'm sure, we don't know. I'm sure the Lord is constantly using him. But um, as far as what we have in front of us in the Bible, he's back there and he's probably just thinking that, right? Like he's, I know that there was a prophecy for me to be in front of kings and um, the children of Israel and Gentiles. And so then you have, on the other side of the spectrum, you have Barnabas who is swamped. And he's thinking, man, who would be the perfect guy for Antioch where you have Greeks, Jews, Romans? And he's like, Saul of Tarsus. Remember that guy? I remember that guy. Let's go get him. Let's go get Saul of Tarsus. That's the guy that, that, that is perfect for this job. Okay? Now, remember, Saul is like this jack of all trades because he is Jewish, right? He's, a, he's, a, he's, a, um, he's like a rabbinical Jew. Like he's been trained in Judaism to nobody's business. Like he's the man. And then he's also a Hellenist. He's a, G, a, a Greek speaking Jew. He's, he had a Greek culture, but he's also a Roman citizen. And we see that when we go to the part of where he's going to be persecuted and, and thrown in jail and whatnot, right? 
So he's the perfect guy. The orchestration of God and his plan and how he uses people, we're just, if we're thinking of the story, it's just unfolding in front of us and we see how he's just using people perfectly where they needed to be used. And it, this, this ministry of, it can, it can be so effective. Like you have a ministry of, say, a, a preacher, like a pastor, that's his ministry, talking in front of people, maybe um, directly. And then you have like kind of this, or formal, I would say maybe. And then you have more of informal ministry. How powerful is informal ministry? And that's more like the day-to-day, the Lonnie talking to the guys at the men's breakfast, you know, the Dustin and his story relating to the friend that calls him up that's going through some of the same stuff. How powerful is that? Like how much is that used, that ministry, just as much as a, as a, can be, i say that gently, can be um, is just as powerful as, as someone that sits behind a pulpit and speaks formally to a group of people. And so this critical point where Barnabas is, he, he goes and he's, he's going to go get Saul. And um, we got to realize if Barnabas wouldn't have been who he was, if God wouldn't have made him who he was, this encourager that helped encourage Saul to get in with the, the, all the apostles when they were scared of him, to get to this point of needing help, realizing the need and the type of people and the perfect fit for that, saying, oh, let's go get Saul. We wouldn't have half of the New, New Testament. So God orchestrated all this. I'm not saying Barnabas did it. But this is a pivotal moment that if Barnabas wouldn't have done this, half the New Testament, we wouldn't have it. Because Saul wrote 13 of the 26? 26? 26? 26 books of the New Testament. Some people, it's debatable, say that he wrote Hebrews. That'd be 14 if that's the case. Nobody, we don't know that. But so this, this is a pivotal moment where it's like, okay, here it comes. Here comes, um, here comes one of the, one of the best, I don't want to say one of the best, but one of the heavy hitters for the gospel. And so in the, in the end part of that, we see where this, the ministry of Paul, it starts in Antioch and takes off from here. And in the end of chapter, or I mean, verse 26, where, where this, this amazing part where Christians become Christians, they, be, they get the name of Christians, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So leading up to this, we had Christians, it was more of a slang where people would make fun of Jesus believers, you know, and we get to this point where they're just radically emboldened and, you know, empowered and bold because of the Holy Spirit. Where they're finally getting the point of like, oh wait, you're calling me a little Christ? And they're like, yeah. Yeah, we are Christians. You know, before it was almost like derogatory and slang. And now it's, it's this point of like, oh yeah, that's right. And Christian, there's, you know, there's, it, all, it all points to the same thing. But there's like, um, in the Greek, it would talk about like, um, oh, how do you say it? Like Christ, Christone or... Uh, Oh man, I'm butchering Christonian. Ah, dang it! I mean, I can't even. I can't think of how it's pronounced. Anyways, I'm trying to. Chris, it's like a Greek slang or Greek um, sounding word because it's Greek. I don't know. I'm drawing a blank. Anyways, it just means um, 
slave to, follower of. So being a Christian, a slave to Christ, a follower of Christ. Now that kind of sounds terrible. They're like, I don't want to be a slave to anybody. Well, how is it going when you're a slave to self and sin? You feel the weight of the world. You feel weight of sin. You feel all this stuff. But when you're a slave to Jesus, when you're a Christian, a follower of Christ, that weight is lifted, right? Jesus takes that. And so it sounds, it can be scary to say, I'm a slave of Christ. Yeah, that's, it's way better than being a slave to self and sin. There's a freedom in that. So people take off from this point out of um, Antioch and they, they're just happy to be called little Christs. Verse 27. Um, and in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. And it's this, this prophecy and this prophet um, talks about this famine and it did, this, this did happen. But it kind of goes back to even um, in verse 16 of chapter 11, talking about, you know, like just modern day prophets and how the Bible speaks of um, beware of false prophets and this and that. And if it's not backed up by the word of God, I mean, it's just like, okay, we have to test it. So someone shows up, I have a, I have a word from God for you. And, and, you know, this is it. And it's like, okay, well, what, what part, what church are you a part of? What family are you a part of? What? Well, nobody, just me and God, and God told me this. Well, there's kind of a problem in that. You know, most time, those people are nuttier than squirrel turds. Not, you know? <laughs> totally can. In the Greek, it said squirrel turd. That's totally not true, but... Um, anyways, and so, like, it just comes back to, like, who, who's it, who are these people a part of? You know, it's kind of, this is kind of a side note, but it's just always good for us to remember. Test these things, these prophecies we still hear today. Test it to the Word of God. And this guy seems, as far as we can tell here, seemed to be um, legit. But the last thing, um, just to end on, and Dustin, you can come up if you want to, for your last song. Um, you know, Barnabas is this great person, isn't he? We just read of all the great things he did. And if, you know, if the Lord didn't do these things in him, um, we wouldn't have half the New Testament. So he's this great guy, this great guy of encouragement. But who's the guy behind it? Who, who is the person behind Barnabas? Jesus, the Holy Spirit. That's who we want. That's, that's who helps us get through this and gives us the strength in the hard times and in the persecution, whatever that persecution looks like in your life. And in that end of that verse 30, it's interesting. We're going to see a switch because right now we have, Bar- it says Barnabas, Barnabas and Saul. And it's like Barnabas is leading the charge here. And as we go through the book of Acts, we're going to see that switch where now all of a sudden Barnabas kind of just steps back and Saul takes charge. 
Paul, Paul the Apostle and just, just is an absolute um, amazing man that God uses. Lord God, we just come to you in prayer today, Lord. Um, Lord, I just pray that these stories would excite us. I pray that they, if we would remember them in hard times, Lord, we would remember them when we, we are just um, want to be used by you, Lord. That maybe if, if we have that gift of being an encourager, Lord, we would be looking for those people that need encouragement to come to you, Lord, to find you. God, that's, that's why you empower us with your spirit to tell the world about you, Lord. So I um, pray that you would give us all that gift to be an encourager, to look for people to encourage, Lord, to, um, to hear from other people when, when we need encouraging, God. And that encouragement, Lord, I pray that is always pointed to you. Thank you, Jesus, for a beautiful Sunday, Lord. Thank you for the people of Polina and and Prineville to come out here, Lord, and and to help us worship, and, and just for your body, Father God. We love you, Jesus, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.